0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce.
1: Morning, David. How are you doing this fine Wednesday morning? Good.
0: Good, Bruce. Good, good. Five years ago, Greta Thunberg predicted the end of the world today, if we don't take her orders on climate change. So I'm just glad... I'm glad to have this day, Bruce. (laughs) Maybe it's tomorrow that it's going to end though. So we'll see.
1: Oh, maybe mitigating action has given us an extra few weeks. (laughs) I hope so.
0: All right. Bruce, uh, the, the draft is coming up, free agency is coming up and, um, no, there's, it's pretty clear right now that the orders are going to either buy out or trade Kyler Yamamoto. Um, I think Ken Holland was asked in one of his interviews about um, what he's going to do about the cap. And then just unbidden, like pulled this out, he, he just said, well, we, you know, we're going to have to do something, you know, obviously we're going to have to buy somebody out. And then he talked about Kyler Yamamoto in the next mm-hmm. breath. So <clears throat> if that wasn't a tell, Bruce, there's no such thing as a tell. Right. So Yamamoto's either going to – now Now we hear from some hockey insiders, Frank Saravalli, who's very credible. Yep. Um, and uh, Chris Johnson, who's, who is also an insider, um, incredible. You know, he's yeah. not up there with Friedman or, or Saravalli. I think those are the two guys right now who kind of are the leading the way. But Chris Johnson's kind of in the next rung and obviously he's really credible. Um, They both say that there's a market for Yamamoto and the owners can get a draft pick for him maybe or something, so we'll see about that. Or at least move him out without having to buy him out, which is really good news for the Amish winners. So we're not gonna talk about more about that because we've already dug into the Yam Jam many times and it looks like Ken Holland will be able to get out of it unscathed. But they still may need more money. You know, there's Evan Bouchard to sign. There's Ryan McLeod to sign. They might want to bring in Connor Brown. Um, <clears throat> so there's, um, they might even w- want to make a bigger deal that we don't know about. Brett Pesci's name has come up. The Carolina defenseman, his name's come up um, this week. Travis Konechny, his, his name's come up recently. So there's some big players who are possibly on the market that the Oilers might be interested in. And you need a lot more money to sign those guys. So the premise is going to be of our discussion today that Holland isn't going to be, that the Yamamoto, uh, moving color Yamamoto isn't going to be enough. The owners might want more money this summer to do everything they need to do. And and that's a very real possibility. For sure. So we're going to talk about um, the various players who they (laughs) might move out. Mm -hmm. And if you moved out, um, all three or four of them, you'd have a lot of money, enough to to do a Pesci or a Konechny deal, probably. If you just move out one of them, you might have more money to sign Bouchard or McLeod um, to lo- like two-year or three-year deals as opposed to one-year deals.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah.
0: bring Connor Brown more easily, because, mm-hmm. you know, Connor Brown is the name we hear repeatedly now, and I actually heard him interviewed by... Um, uh, Luke Gazdick, on his podcast, and he sounded very positive about coming to Edmonton and playing with Connor McDavid. Sweet. So, Bruce, yeah, that is. It was. It was very uh, encouraging. Did you hear that? Did you see that little clip from him?
1: Uh, I haven't. Uh, I haven't uh, um, set aside to listen to on my walk today. I, I saw that there was uh gazdick talking about him and i has has the gist of it but i really do want to hear what he had to say but uh i've been a fan of connor brown for for a while since he was an Erie, to tell the truth but uh uh he and uh, uh mcdavid have that past uh, relationship and he's in this odd position now connor brown where he can uh he can sign a it's like a 35 plus contract to kinds that uh, that Bergeron and Krejci signed in Boston last year, bonus laden. And bonus laden, of course, all that does is kick the can down the road by one year. So you don't want to make it too laden with bonuses. On the other hand, we have it on pretty good authority that the cap is going to go way up in 24, 25. I wish they would kind of split the difference and raise it some this summer, cause oh boy, would that ever make a difference with the with, uh, with the uh, shoehorning the Oilers are trying to do right now. Uh, but Connor Brown is just, you know, uh, that's that's a player that in theory you could bring on for the league minimum with the right bonus structure to satisfy him. And frankly, he's not like, he's not a big money player. I mean, he, he's, he's sort of obviously on the recovery uh, road right now after that major injury. And he's had, uh, he's had, you know, good seasons, but you'd like to think that you know the bonus money wouldn't have to be four or five million dollars or anything like that to bring him in. And, you know, a couple, couple mil maybe, and if you can, you know, direct that part of his contract to next year's hit when there's more money, then uh, that's probably the way to go in this this season. And the one thing we have to bear in mind is that whatever the cap goes up next year, Ken Holland can only spend it once, right? It's not like, so, hey, Cap's going up 4000000 million. Let's go out and get six $4 million players. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell I read Oiler's Twitter?
0: <laughs> it's just an endless craving for <coughs> big-name players to be Everybody. brought in. And we want all, the, we and want all of the players in Edmonton, all no. of them. And we will then pick and choose and get rid of the 600 that we don't want but keep the 20 mm-hmm. that we do. Um, yeah, um, Connor Brown, I don't really know his game at all. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, you know, 30 to 40 point guy, um, who, um, has a good reputation. He, um, is it ACL surgery that he had on his knee?
1: I'm trying to remember what the heck
0: it was. Let me just Google it. Because we don't have to guess. We have this wonderful thing, Bruce.
1: Yeah. Happened early in the season, and it just wiped out his entire entire year. I had him on my keeper league team, and he never got a point for me. Ooh. Yeah. Sorry about that. Well, that's the way it goes. I uh, have little (laughs) to complain about with my team this year, but that was one thing that went wrong early.
0: ACL surgery. I was Uh, correct. Good call. Um, So that's fairly major surgery and he's not young he's 29 i believe so um you're taking some risk in the player i saw i think one assessment of how much he was going to make it was like um the daily face-off i think it was like three million a year for three years if i'm remembering mm-hmm. that or something so it wasn't cheap like th- mm-hmm. they thought there would be a market for this player right and um Maybe there maybe there's gonna be. I don't know. But um yeah, I <coughs> he he has a reputation as a good defensive player. Yes. I don't really have memory of his game or knowledge of his good game. Penalty killer. Yeah. He
1: led the NHL in shorthanded goals uh uh in the uh 2021 season when it was the silo season where Ottawa just oh, played yeah. the other Canadian teams. He had five shorties very strong on the PK, went and played for Canada in the World Championships and got 16 points in 10 games and leading them to a gold medal. And then uh, the year after, he had 39 points in Ottawa, and then he went on to, to Washington, where he played just the four games. That was a three-year contract at $3.6 million. Uh, but I would suggest at this point, he's. Uh, I think the bonus-laden one can only be a one-year deal. Are you and
0: sure
1: about that? I'm not 100% sure, but that was my understanding of it. Because <laughs> you got to pay the that. bonuses the following season. Anyway, he he, uh, uh, you know, he's in certainly in that range based on past performance. But there's no reason that he's going to need a big giant raise. You know, he's not like Zach Hyman that you got to pay five million for a, what had been a two million dollar player. Uh, you just want to make sure he's healthy. Uh, sounds like he wants to be here, which is uh, wonderful. A bit of news and what else they say I'm about 29 years old right in kind of the Holland sweet spot of where he likes to sign free agents. six foot hundred and eighty three pounds. so he's just a uh, you know uh, six round draft pick back in the day in uh, uh, Toronto, but uh, they got a live one. I believe he won the OHL scoring title in his last year.
0: 128 points in 68 games, so he was a big-time junior scorer. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, one, one. I do want to say one thing about Yamamoto. And um, I, w- when I looked a little more c- closely at him, I'm not that surprised that there's some teams that are, might be willing to take him on just at his salary. Um, you know, we uh, we track players' contributions to grade A shots, including something called hard plays that lead to grade A shots. And these are like uh, tips in front of the net or jams at the net. Um, Battles won in the corners that directly lead to the puck going into the slot uh, for a grade A shot. Um, Players who charge hard at the net and, you know, screen the goalie on shots. Yamamoto (laughs) was probably the best order at tipping pucks on that. And... um, he actually screens the goalie a little bit now and then. He was second on the list for the highest rate of hard plays um, leading to great a shots. Zach Hyman was by far and away the top loiter. He's just got a real knack for it. And you know who was surprisingly weak at it? Like some of the, uh, it's not surprising that the skilled players always don't they, they rate low on this. Like McDavid and Dreisaitl, mm-hmm. especially don't rate too high usually because. They're just using their skill to create great A shots. They don't need to mock it up in front of the net, or that would be a poor use of their talent. Just have them screening the goalie. You want them with the puck. Yeah. So this isn't a stat that necessarily identifies the top offensive talent. So it doesn't, but mm-hmm. it does identify the guys who do certain jobs that are right. really important in scoring goals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Hyman's at the top of that list. But Warren Fogle was really low. Really? At that on this that list. That startles me. Yeah, and it was really interesting, Bruce, and it made me think about him because he doesn't score a lot, and maybe this is why. He just doesn't have – he's good charging the net with the puck, but that's really the limit. There's a certain limit to his offensive level, and it's because he's not very good at all those other things around the net, screening the goalie, tipping the puck, um, (sighs) doing that kind of thing. Maybe maybe his job is to go win the puck in the corner,
1: but – yeah, well, still, that can be a hard player. So can driving it hard to the net, which he's done on occasion. But
0: uh, he does do that.
1: Yeah, but anyway. it's not part
0: of his game to be around the net, is what yeah.
1: I'm saying. that's, like, a, that's an interesting observation. Like, perhaps. Yeah, I thought. Was so that too. the same last year too? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Okay.
0: So this is two years running, and he's just not very. It's not his thing. Um, So, for instance, um, Hyman made 1.6 hard plays per game that led to a grade-A shot, 1.6. Yamamoto was half that,
1: 0.8. Oh, jeez. And Fogel was… like a Gretzky scoring race.
0: (laughs) And Fogel was 0.3. Wow. Um, After (laughs) Yamamoto, Kane was 0.7, was third. And Pugliarvi, 0.5. Yeah. so <laughs> the owners could use, I think, a little bit more of the that Hyman-like attacker, I think, around the net. Someone who's just got a little bit more of a nose for the net. Someone who, you know, is just around the goalie a bit more, I think, to pair. And Yam- so that is Yamamoto. The thing is, he yeah. could never finish. He could never get the puck up into the top uh, top shelf where mama keeps the cookies, just was not able to do that, Bruce. He was
1: an odd net. I, I just don't know what <laughs> happened to his, his shooting ability. But He was good at tipping the puck, but he'd try and pass it to him in the slot, and it would just go through his stick, or it would bounce, you know. He would fumble it, he would hold it a bit too long, miss the net, and I'd like whiffed his shots. Like It was like he had the yips. Like Him and Pugliarvi, they both got the yips this year. and they, You know, they just couldn't finish what looked like... You know, finishable chances. And Pulley it's Arby's the reason Pulleyarvey is is out of here, and it's the reason that Yamamoto is going to be out of here. You know, you got top it, six minutes, and you're getting chances set up by the big guys, okay. and you blow too many of them, and they're going to start looking for other alternatives.
0: Yes, a Pulleyarvey's game went down the toilet, in Edmonton, oh,
1: it sure it did. Yeah,
0: It just was really ineffective and um, yep. tough to see. But that's ex- that's what happened. I so uh so um, <laughs> good last year and then
1: he got COVID. And I'm not I, I, rumor how he got long COVID and his everything, you know, like some of his sort of fundamental plays stayed, but uh, his skill and creativity I just don't even understand it. It was just like it deserted him. <sighs> okay.
0: Um one other little piece of business before we get into the buyout thing. Zach Cassian uh, was bought out. He was. And there is some people who think the owner should bring back Zach Cassian. It's being discussed. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, Bruce, I just think that's crazy talk. Definitely. He was, Zach Cassian was such a marginal hockey player in his last year in Edmonton.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to think, oh, he had a terrible year in Arizona. Uh, but he can do now Listen, he was terrible in his last year in Edmonton. He wasn't that physical. Mm-hmm. He did, he was, you know, he gets beat up so much in fights now. He, yeah. fighting. he can't fighting. He, so he shouldn't be fighting. Maybe he will fight. He shouldn't be fighting. He doesn't win his fights. He's not much of a hitter. And he can't play. He can't play. I just think that's the last guy. You, like, he's done as a player. He was great for a little while in Edmonton.
1: But he's done. Yeah, well, seven, people were saying, well, you can get him now at the league minimum. He's a good character guy, team, you know, all that stuff. But... Uh, I didn't see a long list of things that he was going to do for the team other than be a tough guy on the fourth line. And, I, frankly, I'd rather have Clem Costin as a tough guy on the fourth line who uh, can still play a little bit. And, uh, I mean, Cassian uh, uh, to be completely fair to him, I mean, he took an awful battering, especially in his last yeah. year in Edmonton. Prior to, a couple of it was fights where he got punched. I think uh, Zach McEwen got him in the preseason. Uh, another was he took a slap shot in the head by doing exactly what we were just talking about, going to the net trying to create a screen for the goalie. And every once in a while, that's a cost of doing business. But he took two or three like real headshots, and I worried that you know yeah. that was you know what was going to go on. So he did go to to Arizona. The Oilers unloaded him with a couple of draft picks, uh, but all of his contract, which was critically important, and he just played the one year in Arizona. And I kind of tracked him, David, and it didn't take much tracking. I mean, he played 51 games there, two goals, zero, zero assists. He played nine minutes a game. Uh, He had uh, 25 shots on goal for the entire season and 32 hits, and he was minus 18 for Arizona. Now, granted, he's on a bad team that's going to bring some of those numbers down. But I just don't, I can't imagine he's going to play anywhere in the NHL and the idea that he's going to come back and magically recreate the 2017 Cassian against San Jose in the playoffs—I mean, that just isn't going to happen. So, it's—it's no. it's, you know, people people like him, you know, kind of like the idea that they, but it just is not realistic, and it would not be uh, a move that would uh, improve the team in my opinion, even a tiny bit. It's they—they they moved on when they needed to move on. He he should
0: go play in Europe if he wants to continue to play. I'd say. I think
1: he's I think he's done, David. I think he's done, and I th- I worry about the the head injuries, and I you know yeah. I worry about where his head is but based on what he did and didn't do in Arizona. Whether he's you know lost his his uh, I don't want to say will will to win, but just you know he's he's so beat up that that uh, he's kind of went through the motions a little bit. He was doing that here too, so. Yeah. All right. Um, um, happy retirement, Zach. At least you're going to get paid.
0: He was, a, and he was for a couple of years, a pretty effective Edmonton owners hockey player. So, and a hero of the 2017 playoffs for sure. Mm. He was great. He was fantastic. But that's that's like six years ago. Which is um, in in hockey forward terms?
1: That's power forward years.
0: years. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Power forward years are the same as dog years. They really are. Okay, Bruce.
1: Um, Don't worry about Evander Kane, honestly, David. Anyway, let's move on.
0: Yeah, no, it's fair to worry about Evander Kane, and um, you know he he, you get banged up, and it's it's hard to keep going. Uh, it's just a tough, tough sport in that way. Okay, Bruce, the list of people that they might consider buying out if they need the extra money, Cody, CeCe, Warren, Fogle, Brett, Kulak are at the top of the list um, to, to be discussed. And, you know, Mark Spector suggested the orders might trade Ryan McLeod to Philadelphia to, to get Konechny. Oh, not going to happen. No, that's not going to happen. Was an interesting prediction and he said it, we called it a prediction but i i predicted if the if the flyers are going to get a trade for um connect you're going to have to give up a first pick and ryan mcleod not a second pick and ryan mcleod that might do it but um even then it's a bit of a stretch but so we, we could talk about ryan mcleod in this context as well Bruce? Who would you if you had to make let's say you you've got to move another contract you've made mm-hmm. this Who are you moving out of that group of players and why
1: Yeah I think it's almost um <coughs> you know just to keep their own players David uh cuz they don't have any expiring contracts coming off the books this year right last year they had Koskinen uh, they had keith that retired and so when it came time to pay a big bunch of raises to guys like nurse and kane and phil and yamamoto for that matter uh, they at least had a pool of expiring contracts where they could draw cap from this year there are none right like all of the guys that they're paying uh, over one and a quarter million. It's, a, it's, a, it's the biggest expiring contract that the Oilers have on their books right now because they, they had one in Polly but of course they traded it at the deadline and then used the cap space on another long-term contract in Ekholm. So all of the money is tied up in the older guys, and then they have these younger bubbling under guys who have raises due, and there was like $0 in in, in uh uh, in extra cap at the end of last year. And the numbers just don't add up. Like you don't have any minuses. You just got pluses, you know, in terms of any significant amount. Or, uh, so far they've had uh, signed two contracts that were expiring or expired that, uh, uh, for players next year. They uh, signed Derek Ryan and uh, saved 350000 against the cap. That was some good work. Uh, but they signed Stu Skinner. With an extra 1.85 million against the cap and just those two transactions alone the cap's gone up by 1.5 million with the same guys they had before and there's just too too much uh got, i mean bouchard is obviously the big one and mcleod uh, and even costin that are rfa that are due raises of some sort and there's no pool to draw. And I'm not sure getting moving on to Kyler Yamamoto and bringing in a cheap replacement for him and saving, you know, $2 million or $2.3 or whatever it works out to be. It's not going to pay for all of that. I think they are going to have to move a second guy or they're really going to have to get creative in, a, in some kind of bigger trade. Okay. And so you're,
0: you're convinced I'm they actually are going to have to do that. They got yes. to get rid of another. Okay, yeah, I think so. so, so. I is is mean, incredible. unless they can
1: somehow convince Evan, uh, Evan Bouchard yeah. to take a one year. Uh, Ryan mcleod style extension for way less than the numbers that people are bandying about. Like what, three
0: million or something, or three and a half. Well, million? To get
1: him one year at say two million, maybe that that that's the sort of thing. But that's I just don't good. think it's going to happen. I mean, they got it with McLeod, but uh, Bouchard put up two forty point seasons from the back end, and then he scored uh, you know seventeen points in the playoffs, fifteen power play points in the playoffs. Remember that that. Uh, is going to you know really up his value and and holland did the i I think he's level best david like if he'd started bouchard on the power play last season he might have got 70 points and as it was he used barry right up to the trade deadline and then he made his move for eckholm and promoted bouchard and bouchard came from the depths of lousy stats to wind up with 40 points and then again that performance in the playoffs And I mean, you and I've talked about this in podcasts in the past. You don't want to give those power play minutes to the guy whose contract is expiring and to the best that he could. Holland didn't. And still Bouchard put up the numbers and there's a recency bias that, you know, every time Oilers get a power play, Evan Bouchard gets a point. Well, we're going to have to pay that guy. and so it's a, it's a real dilemma on whether they can get them for one or two years. There's no chance that they can do what some people want and go with the eight times whatever big big dollar figure. It's just not there. It's, and, it's
0: funny, Bruce. They talk about him getting like uh, on Oilers now, Bob stoffer has been talking about getting like he could be a 50, 60-point defenseman. He could be an 80-point
1: defenseman. He could be an 80, point he defenseman. could
0: be an 80 90 point defenseman, Bob, uh, Bruce, easily. Hmm. I mean on that power play? Yeah. He could get he could easily get sixty power play points. Well, like well not easily. The way he was in the playoffs. Possibly,
1: Fifteen of them in twelve games.
0: Probably Do no that one's over ever the got the season.
1: You've got hundred points on the power play. Alone.
0: <clears throat> probably no one's ever gotten <laughs> sixty power play points from the point in the history of the NHL, but I'm just he could he, as a defenseman. But so I, that was a bit of an overstatement on my part. But he could he could get a point a game. That's it's, not yeah, crazy talk at all, because that's kind of what he got mm-hmm. um once he took over from Tyson Berry. He's he proved to be like there was lots of people who are worried about that. Yeah. And yeah. and we I don't think we were so worried, you'd have to go back and listen to the podcast. But I, I like I thought he was ready and mm-hmm. he was. He was better yeah. than Tyson yeah. Berry. Yeah, and
1: really. and
0: and you know what? It, we, we talked a lot about strategy about when teams play this zone defense, which the owners are going to face just an endless stream now of zone defenses all, all next year. They're just going to pack in the slot now because that's what worked against with Vegas. The one way you're going to beat it is Evan Bouchard hammering that puck from the point. You, to beat the zone, you must mm-hmm. hammer the puck as hard as you can and accurately as you can into that pack of players. Not everybody can do that very well. And you know Darnell Nurse could take a hundred shots, and he will not score on many of them, even though he's got a good shot now and then. But Bouchard, if he took a hundred shots like that, is going to score on five or ten of them.
1: So uh, well, um, they talk about guys like Connor McDavid being an ankle breaker with the moves that he makes. It. That- has defensemen tied in knots well Evan Bouchard is also an ankle breaker but of a different sort where he just hammers that hard low shot ankle high into that crowd and you just got to hope that not too many Oilers are on the receiving end of those and uh,
0: he's more like a mafia guy Bruce, <laughs> but he, he's a knee breaker he's a knuckle breaker he's a ball buster
1: um anyway back to back to your question of the four <laughs> of the four guys yeah, we I actually wrote out. a post and I ranked them. Yamamoto first to go, uh Warren Fogel second to go, uh Brett Kulak and Cody Ceci. I think they keep the defensemen and move the forwards. That's that's my take. What's yours?
0: Right. I, mm-hmm. I I think I think you're right. I think mm-hmm. that's the Okay, they're the Yam Jam is coming to an end, and uh, they're going to solve that. Fogel is the obvious next pick because he's earning $2.75 million a year next season. Just mm-hmm. one year left right on the deal. Mm-hmm. He's a good player. Yes, he He's well a good two-way player. He doesn't score much. And I think when they signed him to that deal, there was thoughts, well, maybe he's going to be someone you can move up into the top six, and he'll have That's some funny. success there. He's never really looked... <clears throat> like that player with the Oilers, I don't. He just doesn't combine well enough with other players. He doesn't pass well enough or shoot well enough to um, to be that player. You know, that said, in the calendar year from January first on, he was he was really good for the Oilers. He was one of their yeah. best forwards in the playoffs. He yeah. was one of their best forwards in the second half of the year. He was really good. So when like when the season ended and we were thinking of people who might move on, he was not on my list at all. So, but I I so. agree with you, Bruce. Like if you need this money, you have Dylan Holloway, you have Raphael Lavoie, you mm-hmm. probably have Team Costen. You got easy. You know they will probably give as much and provide as much, if not more, mm-hmm. than Warren Fogel did last year at a fraction of the cost. Uh, for you know all three of those players, if you add them up, will be above.
1: About the same.
0: yeah. More, well, Costin's going to be a little bit of expe- little bit.
1: Expensive. Right, he'll be more next year. But, but last year, Ca- if you took Costin, McLeod, and Ryan, who were the s- three very regular line mates for Fogle, I think they made 2.8 yep. million among them, and Fogle made 2.75. And <laughs> I like Fogle. I think he's a good player. And the more I dug into in this post, the more I thought, geez, that guy's had a good season. His, you know, his possession numbers, uh, first first on the team playing on the bottom six best you know of course he uh fenwick shots for high danger chances for he was second on the team just behind mcdavid like a couple of tenths of a percentage point behind mcdavid and they never played together and they were both on the ice for like 60 percent of the high danger chances on playing on separate lines i mean that's dynamite but uh unfortunately his line didn't convert <laughs> that many and that said in the bottom six role with nothing on the power play, 13 goals, 15 assists, and 60 odd games. That's pretty good production. Like he did it, get it is. goals and points. Uh, not a lot, but not none. You know, it's not like he's Colin Fraser down there in the bottom six. You know, getting five points all year long. Yeah, he was uh, getting the odd one, the odd big one. And I do like the player, but uh, he's. Uh, uh, it's just a uh, it's a salary cap world.
0: I think he might be able to get I don't think he'll be able to get a second round pick for Fogle, mm-hmm. but a third round pick. He's mm-hmm. a good player. Like if, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks and you're thinking, We could use a physical oh. player to to play with Connor Bedard, and I keep going back to Chicago because they're the obvious ones, but there's other teams in the same boat. Or if you're Arizona or I yeah, got
1: Arizona, David.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's lots of teams that could use Warren Fogel. He's he is a good hockey player at a decent price. Mm-hmm. Easy to move. And you should yeah. be able to get like I say, a third round pick for him, maybe a second. I doubt Mm -hmm. a second, but maybe a second. I mean, um, I doubt it. Um, So, yeah, I agree with you, Bruce. The other two, Kulak and CeCe, I actually think Philip Broberg needs to happen to him what happened for Evan Bouchard. Evan, wasn't that long ago, Bruce. You may Mm. remember this. I'm old enough to remember this about three months ago, lots of people wanted to trade Evan Bouchard for Eric Carlson. And it, and at that time it was like, Oh yeah, um, he really hasn't worked out and we will move, we will move him and we'll get Eric Carlson and he'll get a point a game and he'll, and, and what has Evan Bouchard done for 12? Everything that we wanted Eric Carlson to do. And he's, he is Eric Carlson in terms of offensive production. And he's probably not that much worse on defense than Eric Carlson. And, um, he just completely stepped up, and now it's like this idea that you would trade him or lose him, it just sends fear through the OILAGA, fear through Oilers fans. Mm-hmm. They just can't. But it just shows how how pivotal, pivotal it is for the GM to make space on his roster for players when they're ready so they can get yeah. regular ice time and play. And Philip Broberg needs this. He needs, Mm -hmm. Holland says he's got to sort this. Well, if Ken Holland, the only only reason I think it might not be Fogel and might be Kulak or CeCe is one way of sorting Philip Broberg is to move out CeCe or Kulak. And then you've got a spot for him. And I personally, I'd be okay with that. I think Philip Broberg is ready to play regularly in the NHL. I've seen enough of him. I, I love the way, especially he defends. He um, he's huge. He gets right on a player's and they can't get by him. He doesn't drive them into the boards, but he takes them and he takes. He, they, they don't get around him. He's he's you know. In there, not in their equipment, so to speak, but he's he's just like the rubber band man, just stretching here, there, and everywhere to stop them from getting around him. I think he can play third pairing defenseman, and I'd be okay if they move. They they will be short of depth, but in thinking about that issue, I think they could sign one or two two million dollar veteran players, veteran D men. So if there are injuries, don't sign like you know they're you know it, this is like the Ryan Murray Slayer cuckoo idea. You sign a couple of these guys, and hopefully they won't get injured. It'll work $1 out. One million dollar D men, you mean? Yeah, the one million dollar D men. Sign a couple of them. They don't have and two million. Yeah, <laughs> one million dollar, two two one million dollar. Oh, oh,
1: gotcha. Okay, sorry, I missed her. Uh,
0: maybe I misspoke. Two one <laughs> million dollar a year D men, and gotcha, yeah. um,
1: <laughs> for one, one year, one million dollar for one year D men. None of this three or four year. Yeah. Stuff. Because that's what's got got them log jammed. Everybody's got three, four, seven or eight years. And that's not going to change.
0: So I'm okay. Like, if they decide to do that and try to then, let's say you you move out Fogle for a pick, and then you're giving, you're opening up space for Holloway, LeBlanc, Austin. You've got lots of players. If you move out CeCe or Kulak, you actually are doing it for Broberg. And I think, actually, if you were, I'm not um, like a, cap guy a capologist but in terms of realizing the potential of your team i think that's the right move to make i actually do think there's a really strong argument for that kind of move for the voters to make this year is to trust that philip brober can get the job done based on what you've seen move out the more expensive player for the less expensive player. You certainly do not trade the less expensive player in Philip Broberg, which is on the minds of many people. Yeah. They want to they want to see Philip Broberg moved out. The, the smart teams are thinking, yeah, we want, yeah, we'll give you our ex- more expensive veteran player who has a lower ceiling than Philip Broberg, and we will take him. Thank you very much, Edmonton Oilers. That's what they are hoping Edmonton does. I think that would be a classic mistake and if Ken Holland makes it I'm not going to be happy
1: well he can't afford to pay trade cheaper for more expensive he just can't I mean proberg's yeah. still on an entry level contract next year $863,000 there's bonuses there that he's unlikely to make and even if he does make them they'll be next year's problem uh, but as a you know former first round draft choice making under a million dollars I mean, it's his turn to step up, and I mean, he it's his platform, season two, of course. Uh, but they have to get value out of that potentially value contract. I wrote about him and uh, Dylan Holloway. It's kind of peas in a pod in a certain sense of where they are in their development, right? Two first-round draft choices both of them are entering the last year of their ELC. Uh, both of them have shown promise, but neither one of them really moved the needle last year. When you, when you look at it, they were given uh, relatively small minutes against relatively um, <clears throat> not strong opponents, and they got, you know, okay results, um, but neither of them uh, neither of them really moved the needle. And they badly need both guys to step it up in 23-24 and to do that you need to have a chance well you can see clearly now that dylan holloway there's a couple going to be a couple places when they move out forwards and and uh, he'll get a shot up there the defense is a little more cluttered because everybody's signed and so how they do it is maybe move a d-man out like you say but if it's cody Cece, well that's a top four spot Cody Ceci, last year, he spent 37% of his minutes playing against the very top opponents and another 37% against mid-level opponents, and he played not very much at all against the bottom-tier guys. Philip Broberg and all the young Oilers, D-men, played very little minutes. They were the four... Four least minutes against the lead opponents. This is using puck IQ uh, a rating of quality of competition, and it was it was like reading an age chart upside down. You know, Broberg 12%, and deharney and uh, De was 15%, and so was Nima Linen when he was here, and Bouchard was 20%. They were the four lowest on the team, and then all the older guys were were up, and Cc and Nurse were doing the heavy lifting. Well, if you think. Well, Brober's going to go from 12 to 37 percent tough opponents next year, and just no problem. I think again, that's a huge adjustment. I, I just don't I'd love to say he should be ready for the should be ready for the top four by now, but it's more realistic to say third pairing, and that's where the there's a crowd.
0: So it would have to be Kulak
1: that you'd trade. <laughs> yeah, in theory, it's not Cici. That's why Cici was <clears throat> fourth on my list, David.
0: Yeah, I, I think you, you your list is correct, Bruce. I agree with what you're saying, and and geez, Kulak was outstanding in the playoffs. Yeah, I like. Kulak. He was out. Outsta- so it's so hard to think about moving that guy, mm-hmm. and this is this is the hard thing. But in a cap world, in a cap world, um, where money is really important, and now you could get a second pick, I think second round pick for Kulak um, on that contract, the way he played mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Man, I, I think he's worth a second-round pick. He's a good player who should play in, in a team's top four. And maybe if he had played that well all year long, they wouldn't have made the Ekholm trade.
1: Well, he uh, played top. He played top four early in the year before they got Ekholm. He, was weak. he played a lot of second pairing stuff, and he was in. He was. I wouldn't say over his head, but he was in pretty deep. And yeah. I'd say he generally sawed off, which isn't bad. Uh, but he was better once Ekholm came in and he was redistributed to third pairing where he's played his whole career. And he's, I think a very strong third pairing D man. And I think probably worth the money as a, you know, anchor on the third pair that can step up for, you know, a time of during injury bug or whatever. Uh, But he's a fifth defenseman with a four year contract, you know,
0: I, I think they should think of (laughs) that. That's the next guy I would think about. Like I, it's very tempting to hold on to both Fogel and Kulak because they can both play.
1: Yeah. But yeah, it hurts. They're not cutting fat here. They're not cutting fat. They're, they're no, cutting into they're the making really days. hard
0: decisions. But you have to make these hard decisions, right? Like this is this is the modern NHL. And um, you drafted Philip Broberg. You developed him. Same with Rabbi, Raphael Lavall for a reason. So and Dylan Holloway. And when they're ready, you got to make you got to make room for them. Um, just like they did for Evan Bouchard. Now, the counter-argument would be, well, to me, would be like, well, David, you probably said the same thing about Yessa Pugliarvi and Kyler Yamamoto. Like, you got to give these people a chance, and you've got to make room for them. And, and, I, and I did say those things, and those, things and chance, those guys certainly. didn't work out. But what I would say is <clears throat> that's how it's done. That's proper running of an NHL team. It's – now, there was – problems with Pugliarvi and Yamamoto, they were rushed to the NHL, um, at least Pugliarvi was. Now, that didn't happen with Brodhug or Bouchard, and it hasn't happened with Holloway. So it's a little different here. They're more ready when they're going to be getting their opportunity. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> so there was problems, you know, but in the end, it 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 worked out. Mm-hmm. The process worked with Pugliarvi. Mm-hmm. When the Oilers traded, yes, with Pugliarvi, they knew he was not going to succeed in Edmonton. They yeah. they had yeah, they, no, they, they had certain yeah. knowledge of that. They were able to move him without um, taking on a penalty in terms of his cap Amazing. So they that is the process working. It's not yeah. that's not a failure of process. That's how it's supposed to work. And what you want to do with Philip Broberg is trust the process. Which is give him the opportunity when he's ready for it. See how it works, and maybe he's going to step up into the top four, or maybe he's going to fail. But you've got to give him that ice time, and you got to give him that chance. And that's what I would do with him um, this coming season. Needs to have it now. He's probably going to get it just because of injury,
1: and this is why you. Yeah, They're probably thinking... He didn't get it last year because there was no injury, which was because very because exceptional. No
0: so because there's going to be injuries, you might want to keep Kulak and CC, and you're just trusting there. But I think, given the shortage of dollars, the better play is, probably the smart play, The um, is to, again, trade Kulak, put Broberg in the lineup, and sign two veteran NHL defensemen on one-year deals at $1 million each. To be perfectly clear, mm. and that's how that's how you go for it this year with this team. And then you have that money. You're going to have the money because you need to have the Oilers. Probably their big play Bruce is at the trading deadline, but you need yeah. to have empty <clears> cap space this year. in your yeah. You need to being accruing, building up that money so you can actually splurge at the deadline. And you can't do that if you're right pressed up against the cap.
1: Yeah, you need to get below the cap in order in order to do that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, David, here's here's my my hot new candidate for uh, a trading partner, Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. And I it was let slip by Frank Saravalli yesterday. And this really surprised me, but uh, he's a very good source. And he <laughs> really said really that the Arizona um, leadership group, ownership, management, or whatever, is committed to making the team better. Yeah, this year, which is a big surprise after about 25 years of being a crap group. Uh, you know, a whole franchise has been, a, you know, uh, I joked to a friend yesterday that the greatest defense pair in the history of the Arizona co- Coyotes was uh, Chris Pronger and Shea Weber. Neither of whom <laughs> had ever played a game there. They just were old contracts go to die. Right. Yeah. And and yet they're talking about. We're not trading Keller, we're not trading Schmaltz, we're not trading Krause, Hayden. you know, our top top guys here. We want to add to that, we want to build around that. And then you look at their uh at their draft riches, which helped them with uh eight, 10, 12 picks this year, uh eight, 10, 11, 12, 14 picks next year. Uh 11 picks a year after that seven round like they got so many so many guys I can't sign them all and they got no room in the minor leagues for them all so they can they can take some of those picks and turn them into actual players I mean this year for instance they have Oilers third round pick uh, in the from the uh, Zach Cassian deal Uh, now if you're saying, well, Conor Yamamoto's a pretty good player, he just, you know, needs a, uh, the right kind of uh, uh, opportunity, uh, Warren is a pretty good player, uh, package the two of them for one pick, you know, second pick or third pick or something, <clears throat> but get that cap space. Again, yeah, to do the reverse of the Cassian trade last year, where you're d- getting rid of a bad contract for cap space. In this case, you're getting you're moving on from good players, uh, but to get cap space and maybe you know some decent uh, uh, draft pick out of it. They got four third round picks this year. You know, one of those would look pretty good. And uh, Edmonton's got three picks total: a second, think, a sixth, and a seventh. Yeah. So.
0: And the way the Oilers cover themselves is again like you can move out these players, and so you so they, then you okay you're you're giving Holloway, Raphael, Lavois and Philip Broberg a shot, right. but you cover yourself by bringing in um, players in the Derek Ryan camp who oh, are man. who are who you can bury in the minors and not have a cap hit, right. but who if these other younger players fail. Um, you have guys who can slot in Matthias Janmark might be in that same camp so you you bring in one or two more forwards and one or two defensemen in that category who can step up and play and the key is finding those guys like it can't like it didn't work out with Ryan Murray last year he wasn't he wasn't good enough and he didn't work out and I don't maybe maybe he was injured all year and maybe that's the reason why but that's that's what enables you to think along these lines a little easier, because mm-hmm. what would be the difference between, um, well, the difference between a player like Derek Ryan and Fogle is minimal. Ryan was as effective as, as Fogle was last year, but you, you can't always count on that, which is why you get, bring in two or three of them. Um, because if, then if, if the guy you bring in doesn't work out, then you've got another one. And mm-hmm. if it, you know, so you, I, I think you load up,
1: if Daryl, was is Jason Demers, up, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, J- Jason Demers. It now that was to do a
1: better job of getting those guys.
0: Yeah, that's your whole strategy. You're looking for them. You're courting them. You're thinking about it, and um, that's what you do. You replace these two or three uh, players who are making three million dollars a year with three or four players who are making one million or less dollars a year.
1: I was encouraged yesterday, by the way, to hear. Uh, uh, also on Bob Doff show, um, Brad Holland, who's um, the pro scouting czar, as they would say in the states for the uh, for the Oilers, uh, and he talked about uh, what goes on at the pro scouting meetings. But he also talked uh, extensively about some of the film work that they do and how they how they actually drill down on. Uh, players uh, with film work, where they pick out particular games. He, he says, you know, they might look for a one-goal game with lots of penalty minutes, where they know, you know, there's going to be lots of situations and there's probably some bad blood, and you know, and they'll just focus on one player. How does he respond to this situation? And they they go into the film knowing what actually happened in the game and knowing it was probably a high-stress situation as opposed to, you know, four-one at Phoenix in January, and uh, that. I I I like the attention to detail of you know what what they're looking for and how they isolate it. Like there's some real thought going into you know we're going to do video scouting. We're going to pick our spots, but we're going to pick it in such a way that we're we're looking for how this guy fits how he performs under particular stress situations. And then we want to add, you know, each player as a piece of the larger puzzle. I'm not sure that's anything new to what other teams do, but uh, (laughs) that's what you need to, that's what you need to find. You got to find that, that Derek Ryan or that, uh, uh, well, you know, any number of veteran pros. I mean, every, every summer we see after about July the 5th, you know, using the traditional calendar, you see, uh, it's just a game of musical chairs. There aren't enough jobs for the number of pros that are out there, and the and the signings that get made in the you know later in July. And this is where Holland's got to do his work, because he's not going to go out and sign that guy for 40 million dollars on July 1st. He just can't do it. So he, he's you know he's going to have to be sort of seeing what's left in second, third week of July. Who might you know who's still available that might come to camp on a PTO I mean a lot of it's the same old same old stuff but this is where the oilers really need to focus because they cannot focus on the big money market and they cannot focus on making a big trade to bring someone in unless they're offloading salary in that trade and they got so many no move clauses and such that there's not really a lot of choice to be had there so I, I think they're 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 finding, You know, they got the bricks, now they need the mortar. More mortar. So, um,
0: we have the last thing we'll talk about, or one of the last things, will be Evan Bouchard, and the possibility of an offer sheet Mm -hmm. for Evan Bouchard. I mean, he'd be very tempting for another team. He's Mm -hmm. such a good player. um, If you're looking for someone to run your power play, um, why not Evan Bouchard? So I'm just trying to uh, log into the journal website so I can read. <coughs> Kurt's, Kurt Levins, our colleague at the Cult of Hockey, wrote about this, and he, I yes. thought he wrote something kind of interesting. Here's what Kurt said, quote, <clears throat> Like you, I have heard and seen the hand ringing over a possible offer sheet for Evan Bouchard, and I am here to tell you it will not happen. Bouchard knows he will be the number one power on the number one power play in Edmonton. Bouchard's agent, Jeff Jackson, knows his client's best opportunity is in Edmonton. There is deep respect for general manager Ken Holland among his general manager brethren. No one is blindsiding him, unquote. Um, The one thing I would say is Jeff Jackson's also Connor McDavid's agent. And I'm not going to suggests there's a conflict of interest. But (laughs) I wonder (laughs) how Connor McDavid would feel if um, Evan Bouchard took an offer sheet and left town. Um, You know, you're losing your top power play guy. Mm -hmm. I I just think, I I essentially agree with what Kurt says. I think it would be very tempting, but I just think Bouchard, in his own self-interest, will realize a couple things that he will get paid in Edmonton. When the cap goes up, there will be some money that will open up and he's going to get a lot of it. The second thing is for success in his career, if he can put up a couple 70, 80, 90 point seasons here in Edmonton and really show what he's got, which is, you know, Tyson Berry had a point, almost a point-a-game se- season, did he not, on that power play, and he didn't really get paid. But I think it's going to be different than with Bouchard because he's just at a different level of, of offensive ability than Berry, as good as Tyson Berry was. Bouchard's shot just puts him in a different league. And with the way the defenses are packing in, um, I just think Bouchard's shot, that kind of weapon, is kind of unusual in the NHL because it's just that much better than most other players, even the elite players. So, um, Bouchard, there's a lot for him in Edmonton. Chance to win a Stanley Cup. Chance to put on the best power play of all time. Chance to score a point a game. Where if he goes to Montreal or Arizona or anywhere, he might go to like a... He might then just be a 50-point power play defenseman or, you know, tops mm-hmm. in, the, in the 60s. He just He's just not going to... It's not going to be the same. And, um why would you give that up? In the short term, yes, it might cost him a couple million dollars for a year or two. But in the long term, he will get paid. He'll get paid really well. And uh, he, he will win a Stanley Cup in Edmonton. So I, I see him staying.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, they can kick the can down the road with a one-year deal, but it won't be dirt cheap. Uh, and that, you know, the options is go two or three, but you're going to need at least $4 bucks to do that. Um, the latter, you know, three-year deal might even be closer to $5 million, just based on what he did last year. But I'm just looking at it from a point of view of the other team that might be making an offer sheet, which there haven't been, you know, there have been two successful offer sheets in the current century, yeah. Dustin Perry and, yes, Perry, and, Uh And one point that I've heard out there that actually do give some credence to is that, uh, 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 you know, GMs are, they're very reluctant to get into this offer sheet business. And I mean, you remember how Brian Burke reacted to the. Yeah. That's situation. He wanted to have a barn fight with, uh, with Kevin Lowe over it. And Ken Holland, you know, like him or hate him, like some people do. Uh, he's been around a long time. He has a lot of respect around the league. Uh, he's a you know straight dealer he you know he makes trades that serve the interests of both teams you know he finds sort of the natural buyer seller type trades and some t- team directly attacking uh and going after um, his his you know young defenseman you know i think they'd be reluctant to do that but the other thing that make him reluctant and would make me a little reluctant frankly uh on another team you know you look at uh, Bouchard's great playoff, 17 points. Well, 15 of them are on the power play. Yeah, uh, McDavid was involved in 10 sure. of those 15 power play goals, dry and seven, I think. And uh, he scored like five. And, and uh, the team getting was going to say, well, we don't have McDavid or dry saddle, but we're going to get this guy to run our, our power play. And, uh, you know, how you know, how much of it is him and how much of it is them and how much are you willing to risk making yeah. an offer sheet which is going to cost you millions of dollars and, and draft picks. And I think that, uh, you know, the tendency, and of course it only takes one team to break the mold, but the tendency will be to say, yeah, you know, He's out there and there's lots of guys out there and, you know, we have our own plans. We've got our own guy that's coming up or we got it, you know, we've already got a guy that plays the point for us that we're committed to for two more years. You know, there's going to be a lot of reasons not to do it. And I don't know that there's just going to be anyone that steps forward. It's just the offer sheet is just, I mean, in theory, it's a weapon <coughs> and a half. Uh, but in practice, they've made the, the compensation tough enough that most teams don't do it and early on in the process, uh, you may remember there was a time when, uh, uh, i try trying to remember which order it was. it was, I think it was Philly and Vancouver, and there was a there was a offer sheet that went one way that Philly matched, and then they made a retaliatory offer sheet the other way for Ryan Kessler, I think it was, and forced Vancouver to match, and it was just like, not only are you not going to get our guy, we're going to force your, you're, you're going to make us pay a guy more, we're going to do the exact same thing to you. And it just kind of chilled uh, the market for that. So it's kind of, it's almost more of a footnote, this offer sheet business. And it really is a, uh, you know, every other year you kind of get one that gets made and then usually that one gets matched. So it's, you know, there's a, a lot more column inches wasted about uh, offer sheets and then is, uh, Justified by actually successful ones that uh, changed the landscape. And
0: if you're a GM, there are other defensemen. Like Brandon Montour was picked up for not very much. I can't remember what exactly the deal was. Was he a free agent or or
1: something?
0: Anyway, he got 73 points in 80 games. Um, There's other players who are just at the next rung like, um, you know, uh, there's Tyson Berry, 55 points this past season. There's um, Shane
1: there. I mean, he's your typical offensive defenseman, you know, who brings that attack, but defensively he's a little suspect. And arguably you could say the same about Evan Bouchard at this point.
0: Yeah, Tony D'Angelo. Like the Oilers could, if if the Oilers needed to fill in, right, mm-hmm. they could trade a low pick for like a trade a pick for Tony D'Angelo out of Philadelphia or get Shane Gostisbehere, and And those two guys, one of them could put up 60, 70, yeah. Yeah. 75 points on the power play,
1: Possibly. like Tyson Berry.
0: You know, it's not so mm-hmm. it's, it's such a choice position. And you're right, like as a GM, you'd be thinking, geez, we could sign, let's say we go all in on Evan Bouchard and give him like a seven year deal at $8 million or something like that we could end up with a defenseman who's weak defensively um who who doesn't really pan out defensively like we, like we were hoping and only gets about 45 50 points a year on the power play you know a guy who should cost 4 or 5 million we're paying double that like it could be a disaster for the team that that went in so yeah there's that as well, Bruce, which is really good other teams are aware of that they are thinking yeah. that as well so-
1: Yep. They're reluctant. The other market they're really reluctant on is waivers. And I'm, I'm constantly surprised by the caliber of player that clears waivers. But there's there's always this human element to it. And part of it is the ego of the GM himself. I like, got, you know, I got my own team here. I'm going to see how they go. But also the GM, And I'm particularly thinking of the end of training camp. When you see all these names on the waiver wire, you know these good AHLers mm-hmm. going down, and almost none of them get picked up. Nobody picked up Dean Costin. Nobody picked up uh, Dennis. Uh, no, uh, uh Dimitri Samarokov. nobody picked up <laughs> a ton of guys, and part of it is just the human relations things. You're going into your locker room, and you're saying, "Okay, guys, I know you've been busting your balls trying to make the team, but we just brought in this guy that St. Louis just cast off on on waivers. He's not good enough for them, but he's better than you guys, so we're bringing him in." You know, I, GMS don't like that kind of. You know, most don't. Anyway, there's probably some that don't mind a little conflict in the room, but unless the guy is like clearly, hey, we've wanted this guy for a while, and here's our chance. You know, we think he can fit in. Uh, he, he, so they're 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 more looking at building their team through more traditional paths. And and uh, and I mean, the odd player. I mean, Amadio in Vegas that won the one Stanley Cup, he was picked up on waivers, but you know, it's just not not that many and. Offer sheets even less so. T- teams like to like to build by drafting, by trading. and this is where uh, Ken Holland to me is uh, and during his time in Edmonton his four years, his best results, frankly have been by the trade route. Uh, I think he's made some good trades. I thought he made five good trades last year. <coughs> uh, starting from the Cassian deal at the draft and ending with the uh, Bugstad deal the day before the deadline. I thought he made five good de- trades that dealt with salary cap because it was a huge issue last year as well, but also improved his team. Whereas as you look at the rest of his record, his draft record, you know, I mean, clearly it's too early to really know. But uh, there's nobody that's c- come through and, and uh, outperformed his draft position uh, just yet. Uh, there's... Uh, um, if you look at his uh, free agent signings, there's good, there's bad, right? He got Zach Hyman, he got Jack Campbell, you know, so you have got uh, some good and bad there. And his signing record is a little bit hit and miss, but his trade record. So if he has to, you know, balance his team by making trades, maybe that's not the worst position to be in. But he's, um, uh, of course, there are those that think he can do no right, but. Uh, would uh, judgment, you know, different levels for his different functions of the GM role, but his his trading record, to me, it's been okay.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see about the draft thing. I mean, they did, to give, there was the one pick that worked out in that Reed Schaefer was turned into uh, Matthias Eckholm, mm-hmm. and um, that's because in Schaefer had a pretty good year, yep. apparently enough of a good year that um, Nashville really coveted him, and they were able to trade him and, this year's first pick for uh, Matthias Eklum, so
1: well, Nashville just traded to Tanner Janot for five draft picks, you remember. So they uh, they needed to replace him on the roster, and I think that's exactly the kind of player they got in Reed Schaefer and maybe a better player. So sometimes it's just a matter of finding a team that just created a void and, <coughs> and saying, but well, will a guy can fill that.
0: Yeah, we'll see with Reed Schaefer. I mean, you just never know. Like, he was essentially a point-of-game player this year in the WHL, and and it's pretty – that's not super high-level scoring. Um, It's not the kind of scoring that you typically see of a player who's going to play in the top six in the NHL, for instance. Right. You know, you got to be a cut above that if you're going to make that move. But sometimes big and physical players um, uh, carve out their own – life in the NHL so we'll see what happens there you never know that's whether that's why they're coveting him because they think he can be that kind of really super tough aggressive player well Bruce have we covered the uh, field here any other thoughts or
1: uh, yeah i i think pretty much we have david it's it's uh, uh the one to me and they have seen it in my post, those regular readers and thanks for reading that but his cap salary cap um corner that you know you could argue holland's painted himself into of not having any expiring contracts it kind of dominates the landscape they have to you know that, that that has an impact as last year too but i think maybe more so this summer of uh, overhanging like the sword of damocles everything that uh, that they do has to take that into account and i think they'll be doing small deals and if there's one big trade in there somewhere it's got to be money going out for money coming back and uh, that's not easily done either it's they got to make two trades to me money going out and then they can work with the rest of what they got and, and fill with uh, million dollar class free agents and just do a great job on that <coughs> front so
0: already well um, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, Bruce.
1: Yeah. Yeah. we got the draft and then we got the free agency on Canada day. And then we're, and we're, uh, off and running and we're writing articles about prospects
0: <laughs> for the rest of the summer. <laughs> thanks for talking today, Bruce.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.